Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. My name is Sam Bruce. I'm the associate editor of ESPN.com.au. Uh, pleasure to be joined for our latest podcast, uh, A Big Week in Rugby, by Jimmy Tucker, uh, Queensland rugby legend, uh, media legend. Jimmy, welcome back once again. Thanks, Sam. Uh, really good to be here. Big week for Australian rugby with a first squad being announced. It's always exciting. And Christy Doran back with us again from Fox Sports. And the 15, mate, uh, welcome back. Thanks, great to join you guys. Cheers. As Jimmy mentioned, uh, guys, yeah, Dave Rennie, a 38-man squad there on Sunday lunchtime announced um, in quite a nice way, I thought, there on, on Stan Sport with um, the, I guess, the, the major stakeholders in our game, that the fans um, revealing uh, each of the 38 names on, on Dave's list there. Uh, let's start with, I guess, um, probably three of the biggest shocks in that squad, although 38 uh, being that uh, high of a number, there's always going to be one or two who catch you by surprise. Um, Andrew Kellaway and Michael Wells from the Melbourne Rebels, um, who started to play with a, a lot more freedom in Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, it must be said. And, and Lalakai Flaketti, let's start there, Jimmy. Um, I think uh, we'd all been caught up in, in how well Izzy Parisi had been playing and perhaps overlooking the, uh, the contribution that Fakedi was making inside him there. And that was certainly what Dave Rennie noted uh, in the, the press conference that followed that stand announcement on Sunday. Um, still caught me by surprise, but when I thought back, particularly I was at the game there at, uh, at Brookie on, on Saturday night. Um, he's a skillful player. He's got a bit of footwork and um, he's probably held his, high, held his head pretty high in that Waratahs team, uh, which has been so badly beaten all year. Uh, I'd agree with that, uh, and, and probably that's the point that you uh, brought up straight away, footwork. Uh, Rennie made particular mention of players and their positives, and I guess the underlying tone was, we'll go with their positives and work on their less good parts. And that goes with, say, Lonigan and Hooker. He said, great presence, always on the ball, uh, always backing up, real robust, but not a great scrummager. So he was talking up the positives and we'll work on uh, the less good parts. And I think that goes with um, Fiketti as well. Uh, you can't concede 40 tries in a season and plenty through the midfield without saying Parisi and Fiketti uh, have some issues in the whole defensive structure. So uh, that will be one issue there certainly to, to work out. But nice footwork and strong and maybe a little bit of a theme there. There's no Simone, uh, one squad to the next. And, and maybe uh, some of Simone's less subtle skills um, with, with the kick and the nice pass, but probably not as um, aggressive as a, a direct runner. Uh, maybe that's a sign of what uh, Rennie's on about as well. Christy, um, two other guys there, Michael Wells uh, at the Rebels and uh, Andrew Kellaway. Two, I guess, really interesting stories from a pathway perspective. We look at Wells, uh, came through the sevens, was at the Waratahs. And um, I know you've been big on him for a long while, was a real contributor to that team. Um, then found his way to the Rebels, was was overlooked for, for Waratah's kind of um, succession planning into the future. We go back to Kellaway, who was a schoolboy star here in Sydney, a guy I used to go and watch quite a bit when he was he was playing in the, the GPS rugby competition, absolutely dominant, dominated that competition, probably um, in the same fashion that Kurtley Beale did back in his day. Um, had a couple of years at the Waratahs under Michael Checker, found his way uh, over to Northampton, a couple of seasons in the Premiership, came back to Australia via New Zealand with uh, with Counties Manukau and a, and a season over there in the ITM Cup. 
Rebels away to Japan and then back just recently for Super Rugby Trans-Tasman. Um, he's covered some ground, but certainly two players, you couldn't begrudge their call-ups given what they've shown over the past few weeks. Yeah, well, I think, Sammy, let, let's throw it back to you for a moment. You you watched him growing up. Um, why do you think he didn't make it uh, to become... Uh, what, what, he's in his mid-20s now. Why has it taken him so long to be knocking on the doorstep of a, of a Wallabies call-up? What I was told, Christy, was that uh, there was a falling out of sorts with, with Daryl Gibson at the Waratahs. Um, he clearly made his debut there under Michael Checker. had performed at the under-20s tournament. I think he still may hold the record for the number of tries at a tournament that he, he crossed for, I think, was over in New Zealand in about 20, oh, 2014, perhaps. Um had that couple of seasons there of the Waratahs under Michael Checker and that first kind of little bit of a transitioning period after their 2014 triumph. Um, played a few games, um, scored a couple of tries and then just seemed to fade away once Daryl Gibson um, took charge. Uh, but as we've seen in the past as well, like guys going overseas isn't always the worst thing. We probably see it a little bit more with, with forwards where they go away to France and all the premiership and, and really, you know, they, they talk about learning your forward trade. Um, I'm not sure you learn your backline trade up there, but perhaps just being out of that spotlight for, for a little while and, and going over there as a, as a relative unknown, not as a schoolboy star that everyone, you know, expected to come in and, and dominate as he had done in the GPS um, was the blessing that in disguise that, that Kellaway needed. And I'm sure probably really benefited from that short stint in New Zealand as well. So... Um, yeah, but originally the, the word I, I got out of New South Wales was that there was a falling out with um, with Daryl Gibson. Yeah, I think Michael Wells's departure, I don't think Michael Wells is a world beater at all, but I think Michael Wells's departure sums up the sorry state of affairs at the Waratahs because he and Andrew Kellaway now are the, are the two kind of guys that you need in, to make up your team. They complete the body, you know, you can't have... It's, it's like a car without wheels almost. You know, you might have a strong engine because you've got some exciting youth coming through, but unless you have that undercut of 50, 60 caps there, the experienced toilers that know how to get the job done, no super rugby side's ever that successful. And you always come back to that 2014 team of the Waratahs, and it was the older, wiser heads that were brought in by Michael Checker really astutely, like the Stephen Hoyles and the Mitch Chapmans, the Dave Dennises were there. As soon as they go, two of them retire. Dave Dennis leaves, plays in, you know, effectively what is three championship sides of Exeter. They might have only won one or two of them, but they're in the final every time competing. The Waratahs start to really quickly drop, and it's not the Will Skeltons that leave. It's the Dave Dennises that leave that hurt them. And that's why I think Tim Rapp and the Waratahs got it so horribly wrong losing the Wells's. And Kellaways. I think also with Andrew Kellaway, he's this he he comes into this reckoning for the 23 because he he always he doesn't do much wrong and, and he's a solid player that can play right across the back line. He's a good finisher, knows how to get to the try line because he did it at a young age. But he's he's rocky road to start his professional career. I almost think it sums up what's been wrong with Australian rugby. That these guys get put on a pedestal pretty quickly and, and they almost get too big for their own boots. Um, I know that a lot of them, the Ned Hannigans of the world, good young player, but he was promoted into this Wallabies side within pretty much his first year. Does All that, of a sudden yeah. they're getting paid probably what, what I've been told by other Waratahs who might not be there, 
getting paid probably double what they should be getting. And then all of a sudden they don't have actually any more money because they've they've paid for their 20, 21 year old young stars. They've paid $250,000 when maybe they should be only be on 150 at this point in time. So it's really fascinating looking at the dynamics here, but it's good to see a couple of guys in their mid to mid to late twenties now starting to get some recognition and, and a fought for this because that's what it is. Um, I don't think Michael Wills is making this this 23, but he's a guy that he's pretty rock solid in defense. He gets over the ball, doesn't make too many errors in attack. Um, he's a good hard player. So I, I like to see a couple of these guys rewarded and, it, and it's good for super rugby to show that a guy that's 27, 28, like Michael Wills can still make this, this wall of his team. Jimmy, a couple of Queenslanders that I want to push you on here. Um, Brendan Pinger and Mosa, one of three uh, hookers named uh, the same three that, that Dave Rennie included for his camp here in Sydney back in April, um, heading off to France later in the year. But that, as uh, we we know, doesn't rule him out at all for selection. And the other one, uh, Tate McDermott, mate, was always going to make this squad, but um, has got to be really pushing Nick White, I think, for that starting position on the account of of Jake Gordon also being out with injury, even though he was named in the squad, he's been playing fantastically as well. But just back to Friday night there, I thought that was one of um, Tate's best games in a Queensland jersey um, against the Hurricanes there in Wellington. So the two guys there, BPA, I think every chance to start that first test. But but what about Tate, mate? Is he seriously pushing Nick White for, for that number nine jersey now? That's a really good question. Um, we have to get it in context a bit. Um, as a team, you can attack off uh, 10 or you can attack off halfback. Uh, best teams obviously can attack off both. Um, James O'Connor was out of those last two games where McDermott has been on fire. And McDermott was really feeding uh, O'Connor. So O'Connor oiled the back line and all the plays before that. No O'Connor there. Uh, the Reds reverted to McDermott being the focus of initiating attack. And he was sensational for those two games. Uh, he's got a huge, huge heart, takes it into so many big players, the, the land of the Giants, and then uh, dishes those nice little offloads, commits players, and all the best sides have running halfbacks. That is an absolute fact because it just stops uh, defenders around the ruck base there. They, they can't get lazy, and then he can put guys through gaps but also take them himself with those little quick taps. So to answer your question about he and Nick White, I think – the element still missing a bit in Tate's game is that really cracking pass. Uh, it's not a long pass, so things are naturally a little bit narrow. Um, he did get intercepted directly off uh, a pass earlier in the season uh, in Trans-Tasman. Um, he wasn't solo in that regard because of the line speed of the Kiwis. That was probably a big learning that you can't just snap a pass and expect it to find its mark if those hungry Kiwi hands are looking to, to rip onto them. Uh, so I think Nick White might still be ahead, but it's a really exciting mix because I think McDermott is an accelerator. When he comes into the game, the game changes, and that's what you want from a, a finisher. Uh, by the same token, you could start him and be quite exciting. Um, so uh, that, that's how I see that. Uh, Pangramosa, uh, Rennie really liked him last year, picked him to start in five tests, and a lot of that to do was uh, his scrummaging. He rates him very highly on the scrummaging front. Um, uh, it's a bit stranger on the line-out throwing. He can look absolutely rock-solid for 50 minutes, then lose three in a row. So that's an element that's got to be 
worked out because that's bread and butter. If we're going to beat the French, you have to scrum well and you have to nail all your lineouts. A couple of things, Sammy. I might just pick up on that. Tate McDermott, it, it was a bit of a conundrum what they did there with the, the three halves because all of them in pretty good form. Jake Gordon really pushing Nick White, I thought. Um, the, the the looseness of the Waratahs' play absolutely helps Jake Gordon, I think. Um, his ability to run, we finally saw it transfer from shoot shield level to super rugby level. But, you know, who how how Dave Rennie operated and what nine he went with, um, it was, you know, there's three there's three talented nines. It's something that we haven't had for a long while. So now with him out of the picture, I think this is a great opportunity to see can Tate McDermott, a little bloke like him who's got a great running game, can he actually in 30, 40 minutes, not in a Bledisloe test to begin with anyway, but can he succeed at test level? So it's a great opportunity to discover a little bit more, I think, about Tate McDermott. Um, and one thing that's it's it's not necessarily overlooked, but it's not talked about with his game is is defensively he's great. You know, he as Jim said, rock solid heart, big heart, but he is great defensively. Um, so that I think is exciting to see. And we kind of bemoan it a little bit. Um, nines that kick a lot, but we know Dave Rennie loves Nick White's ability to box kick to put oppositions under pressure through his kicking game. And we really saw that during last year's opening Bledisloe where his kicking game was to inch perfection. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes against the French. But I wouldn't like like what we see with Taniela Tupo and and at, at tight head prop. I wouldn't mind seeing a, a, a you know a case where we learn a bit more, where we give 40 minutes to both halfbacks in these first couple of tests to see how they go. Christy, just, um, to interrupt there, sorry, Sammy, sorry. Uh, just to interrupt there, I think the manner of the test series, 11 days, three tests, I think there's, uh, we can't play a B team midweek or we'll just get beaten because that is just stupid. And Rennie said he's not going to do that. But there are certain positions where it does give great scope to, to see players as we're talking about there. I would say you could have White starting in two tests on the weekends and McDermott starting a test in midweek. That makes perfect sense to me, or, or, or the other way around, because then you're actually uh, getting a good view of your players. It's not sort of dribbling minutes at the end of a game. You, you're really seeing the players you've assembled. Ten, ten minutes tells you nothing, God, I, I think. We, we saw 10 minutes of, of Fraser McWright in the third Bledisloe in Sydney, and he looked outstanding. But, you know, the, the, the test match was well and truly done and New Zealand had taken their foot off the, off the gas. So, yeah, you're right, Jim. Guys, uh, average age of the squad is uh, 25. Um, let's look at uh, a couple of the older boys uh, or certainly guys perhaps who have been under a little bit of pressure in this uh, this Rennie, this fledgling Rennie era of ours. Um, Izzy Nicerani back was in that squad in April, but was certainly left out originally last year in that first squad for, for the Bledisloe Cup. Um, really finished the season strongly for the Rebels, um, carrying with real authority and, and getting those multiple involvements that, that Dave Rennie is, is so keen on. Um, Sitaleki Tamani, excuse me, another one uh, coming back from overseas who, who came back and made such an impact over there with the force this season. And, and Scotty Seo back in favour at, at, uh, at loosehead prop there behind uh, James Slipper and, and Angus Bell. Um, Three guys, Christy, who I, I guess, again, differing stories, um, had a bit of pressure put on them, certainly CEO and Nicerani, and then uh, Tamani, a guy that Scott Johnson 
lured back from uh, from France. Yeah, how much Scott Johnson had to play there, I'm, I'm not so sure. I think from speaking to Sidalecki when uh, he was here for the Sydney camp back in April, he, I think it was more of a family situation that, that they wanted to to come home. It ends up at the force because of uh, some, some work from Tim Sampson. Um, but he, 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 the hardness that he, you just have to look at him physically to go, this guy is is um, been playing rugby for a long while because unlike Trevor Hosea, who's still feeling out, um, Tamani just looks so rock solid and it's, and it's great to stand and go, wow, okay, this is what a, a 30-something person looks like who's in pretty good shape still. And that's what happens after playing in France where they value second rowers so highly. Um, I, I expect he will, he will start. It's really interesting to see what happens with Issy Nasserani. I, I believed that he was heading overseas and whether or not, you know, with COVID, people can get out of contracts, I think, a little bit easier. Um, what happens with his future will be fascinating because we know that he was looked over for the bulk of last year. Um, Dave Rennie wasn't impressed with his physical shape. Um, yet he still had a reasonable year for the Rebels and he's, we've shown some spark, he's shown some sparkling form in recent times. So how he fits into, fits into the mix, I'm not quite sure because... Rob Valentini looks like he's a starter at six. Lockie Swinton, we know, is rated highly by Dave Rennie. And then Harry Wilson is in eight, absolute great form and he will be starting at number eight. So where Nasserani is there, I, I don't know. We know that Rob Leota um, has the versatility of being able to play in the second row um, as well as six. And I still think that even though Lucan is considered the lock at the moment, uh, I think there are some people that like him still being able to play at six in a Courtney Laws kind of fashion, who's a, been around England set up for nigh on a decade. So that'll be fascinating. I think Scott Seo, uh, by James Slipper being out of the picture for a little while because of his injury, has just allowed Scott Seo to have big minutes. Um, he's been he's been good without being spectacular, and I think Tom Robertson was really hard. It was hard-pressed for him to miss out. I think he's been brilliant for the force this year, not just from a scrummaging fashion, but we're, I think we'll probably all remember this. When Tom Robinson came into the, the Waratah side quite a few years ago, he scored, I think, a double on debut. or well, it was very close to one of his first matches. So he's scored a couple of tries this year. He's pretty good in the tight. I thought that was, that was tough for Robertson to miss out. If you're enjoying this podcast, swipe over and check out the ESPN Australia Podcast Network. We're discussing the best stories on the sports you love, with on-the-ground takes and fresh voices covering the names and games you tune in for. Jimmy, um, Christy mentioned uh, Lockie Swinton there. Was included uh, in, in Rennie's squad here. We're still waiting to hear. I just checked before on the emails there for, for the judiciary uh, notices to come from Sanza for this week, from what I can see. Um, but it's clearly got to be an ongoing concern, his discipline. Um, Dave Rennie said they'll contest this charge. Uh, red card means automatically he goes to the judiciary. Um, I don't know how you saw that incident, but we're seeing a clear, you know, a clear theme here with, with Lockie Swinton, are we, that he can probably be baited into, um, you know, uh, these kind of incidents. And, and also that, you know, he plays right on the edge, you know, all of the time anyway. So um, he clearly, Dave Rennie clearly likes what he sees with him and is prepared to to take that risk. But um, 
surely it's it's got to be some some sort of reining in with him as well because uh, you know you can't win tests uh, down to ten men. Sorry, down to down fourteen men for ten minutes, let alone losing someone for um, for even longer than that with a red card. I thoroughly agree. Um, Swinton's aggro and just physical presence with those big turnover tackles is really impressive, and that's what you need to hit the All Blacks with. But his the repetition of his yellow cards or his high tackles and, and never learning, uh, that's a real liability. And I, I, I don't instantly see a, a spot in the side for Lockie Swinton until he can cure that problem because it's uh, a chronic problem. And it's not as if uh, there aren't other contenders. Like we talked there of Valentini. Uh, where are we going to find a, a spot for him if Swinton's um, not there? So Valentini's done everything right. Like he's just exceptional. And... Um, Taking on the point of Nizarani, I think you've got to read a little bit of the subtext, subtext of Rennie. Uh, he, he wants versatile players and he would see Nizarani as good ball carrier, no footwork. Because uh, he made the point um, very much so with Harry Wilson, saying towards the end of last year, uh, after a great super rugby season, Harry probably didn't keep his upward d- development. And even in Super Rugby AU this year, uh, was pretty solid, but not. Stella, after the camp, uh, Rennie's obviously spoken to Harry and said, look, I want to see more footwork. I want to see a little bit of this and that. And Harry Wilson has taken it on board and he was just a dynamo in trans-Tasman. And that that all came about through the aggression of his ball carry, uh, some of those lovely little plays down the short side of a scrum, putting McDermott away, hitting a short ball from uh, McDermott as well, like really uh, took his game to another level. So. I think that's what Rennie's trying to put on Nizarani with all these reminders. Come on, show me some more. And uh, Nizarani's had a couple of good games uh, in recent times. But I, I think that's a sign of a good coach. Uh, got a good player, but I want a great player. Boys, um, I guess, look, we, we've kind of been looking forward to this series for a few weeks now because we've known that um, the Australian teams weren't going to figure in Trans-Tasman, and perhaps that's naturally has taken on more of a focus now. Um, I, for one, I'm really excited about what's coming. Um, we know there's some some rumblings in the background about the French worried about their their quarantine, and, and hopefully, I think, you know, this new breed of French player will get out here with a real thirst to want to perform like they have done recently in the, in the Six Nations uh, with, a, with a lot of players coming through through their under-20s program. Um, is it a squad? Is it a Wallaby squad that can win 3 0? And, and how do we see this series going, I guess, Christy? Well, yeah, when we were all three of us, in fact, at the uh, Museum of Contemporary Art, I asked, asked Dave, do you see the, uh, the strength of the squad and are you targeting a 3 0 victory? And he said, well, I wouldn't tell the media that, but you could, you could definitely see that he, he believes that we can. And I think. They're, given the uh, the fact that the French won't be able to play their strength, the strongest side in at least the first test, probably the first two tests, and whether or not even someone like an Antoine Dupont even comes to Australia, um, Roman Entomac as well, uh, I, I think anything but a 3-0 victory wouldn't be a success, I think. Um, there's You look through the squad and I think it does lack a bit of X factor. I think when you take out Jordan Pattaya, um, you take out Sully Asi Bunavalu. Even though Bunavalu's got a lot to work on, he's still a bloke with a lot of X factor. I think that Wallaby side misses a fair bit of it. There's no one in that back line, that back three. There's some good footwork from Tom Wright. 
um, Tom Bax is developing still, but you don't really, there's not too many of those wingers where you go, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit fearful of them. You know, the Caleb Clarks of the world where you go, geez, he's an absolute player, or even the Johnny Mays who's got genuine gas. I, I think, you know, even though Andrew Muirhead and Callaway's there, they're developing good players with some handy footwork and they can score tries. I don't think that you're actually scared by them. So that's that's one of the areas of concern. And, and um, But I still think given the fact we won't have the challenges, Australia won't have the challenges that France will, I think it's very much a side that should win 3-0. Jimmy? Well, I think um, as always, we have rose-coloured glasses and we saw Eddie Jones in England come out and we were thinking 3-0 Len, perhaps. And look at the point of that was for the years ahead. We lost 3-0 and then we uh, got badly beaten by England at the next World Cup. So I, I see this as a really significant series. Um, I think it'll be closer than uh, just the, the pundit who d- doesn't know any of the French names mm. uh, will suggest. I think the French will be really good. They'll really challenge us in the forwards and force our back line to uh, really be on their game defensively. And if we win this 2-1, I think that'll be a fantastic spectacle for Australian fans, but a really strong pointer to uh, playing and having to beat one of the great teams of the world at the next World Cup in France. Um, uh, probably a name I'd like to mention would be Len Ikatao. You said we haven't got any X factor. I really think he is the outside centre we have to have because he, he does set up wingers. He makes wingers look better and he has got great footwork. He, he has just been a really big improver and a, I reckon one of the, the real finds of this season. It's it's a great point. Lenny, you can tell has gone under the radar over the last six weeks particularly. As Parisi has been spoken about glowingly, um, you can tell has just been doing his work pretty quietly. He started the season in great form because... We all remember Ikatao got picked last year in the Wallabies squad with hardly playing any minutes. A little bit like Jordan Ualisi back in 2017. But it'll be fascinating to see how the, the Wallabies go about their midfield because we know that Matt has not been at his best, but I don't think he's been at his worst either. Um, do they make a uh, put a stake in the ground towards 2023 going, do we go forward with Matt Tamura at 12 and Hunter Paisami at 13? Or do we make that shift immediately with Bosami and with Ikatao? And I think to begin with, if you do that, you know, there, there is a bit more risk because of the, the, the lack of combinations, because of the lack of experience. But perhaps that, you know, the long-term benefit of that outweighs the short-term potential, potential loss, potential hiccups along the way. Um, you're right. And, and Jim, like, yes, I, I say I think the Wallaby should win 3-0. But at the same time, this Wallaby side has not shown the ability to win and win consistently for a long, long time. And that's the, the great concern. And that's why I think some of the experience of someone like a Tamua could be important early on. Yeah, intriguing selection calls. I think we, we can see where the, where the spine of this team is going to come from. And certainly the, the back row looks looks rusted on. But there are a number of positions there which... Um, in that, uh, that week of the first test, they're really going to be intriguing following to see uh, who ends up um, 15 through one. Uh, boys, let's move on to recapping the, the Trans-Tasman campaign, I guess, for the Australian teams. There's, of course, one game to go with the uh, the Blues hosting the Highlanders in the final on Saturday, and we'll get to that in a little while. Um, but, Christy, uh, 23 and two records. Now, um, I was slightly more ambitious 
in a piece for uh, ESPN.com.au suggesting that uh, perhaps nine wins would be a good result. And then I think after round one, I knocked that back for six. And, and then I think we just knocked that whole um, that content theme on the head altogether. Um, it clearly didn't work out, uh, probably as we all hoped, certainly. But um, it was always going to be difficult having not played the Kiwi teams uh, last season. It was a real wake-up call. Um, only the two wins, uh, the Reds at home in Townsville over the Chiefs and the Brumbies. Um, beating the Hurricanes with the help of, of two wayward Geordie Barrett kicks there there last week. Um, how do we assess, I guess, the, the campaign, Christy, from an Australian perspective, uh, given given we haven't played the, the Kiwi sides last year? And, and uh, I mean, is, is it a failure? Is it um, what we expected? Uh, how, how do you sum it up? I think anyone that didn't expect it would be um, this difficult was being very naive, really. Um, we knew that the Aotearoa competition was, it looks quick, it looks fast, it looks incredibly skillful, and that's exactly what we saw, that their ability to finish tries, um, to turn the half chances into five-pointers, um, is something that Australian rugby continues to struggle with, and we've seen that at the Wallabies test level for a long, long time. And no longer do we have the Joe Roths who just always managed to score um, the Ben Tunes. Um, yeah, I don't think we're necessarily as bad as a 23-2 scoreline, but that shows that there's a massive gulf. And Dave Rennie was right in the sense that he said, uh, correct me if I was wrong, because you were both on the, the interview at the time, but if we had a, a seaside up against a New Zealand seaside, we'd be, you know, it'd be a, a heavy defeat. Um, uh, What's what's disappointing is is the the defensive efforts and, and we're banging home about it, but that more than anything shows the the golf. It shows the lack of um, depth in Australia. And we saw that during Bledisloe three that you take out Tamua and you take out O'Connor, and all of a sudden we're getting you guys in there that have hardly experienced what Test match rugby is about, but what you know high quality rugby is about, and. and we were beaten comprehensively in the opening 20 minutes. And that's often where we saw these Australian sides um, get picked apart. We saw it with the Rebels quite often in recent weeks. We, we saw it through the Waratahs right the way through. Um, it's all, and you know, Chris Whitaker was speaking about it at times. It, Brad Thorne spoke about it for months. It's all well and good scoring tries, but it's about the defensive efforts, the ability to get off your feet, which is what Rennie always talks about you know, staying in the game. They're the things that Australian rugby struggles with. Um, it brings into the question the depth. Can you have five sides? You know, if if we've all got our strongest team out on the field, yes, they can be competitive. But as soon as these sides start to lose three or four players, that's where the depth is really, really exposed. Jimmy, we certainly saw that with the Reds over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, O'Connor out with, with that neck injury. And while um, Tate McDermott, stood up fantastically and then Harry Wilson and, and others were really performing well. Just that extra little bit of class they were missing against these Kiwi teams. Um, they had a really good crack against the Blues there and Brizzy with a, you know, even hit by further injuries with Hegarty there on the day of. Um, you know, Mac really comes in to start and I think he particularly found it uh, tough coming back on the carry there in Wellington on, on Friday night. I, I think the biggest thing for me that stood out besides the defensive side of things was the breakdown and how often the Aussie clean-out was found wanting, particularly those first two guys in, just missing their cleans, how much turnover ball. We know New Zealand teams thrive off that. Um, and just how easily they found it 
and really rammed home at Brookie on Saturday night watching um, Lockie Bashir and and Peter Gusto Akula and these other guys have a real field day against the Waratahs. The, the clean out against across all the Aussie teams was subpar. Yeah, I agree with that. And I, I think when we did see an Australian team do it well, which was the Brumbies against the Hurricanes, we saw a different result, didn't we? We saw a, a tight win, 12-10, and the Brumbies playing uh, smart footy and, and winning that game. Um, there were some really good patches, 20, 30 minutes from all teams. But that's not a game of football. That, that's just a, a little uh, full storm to look at. Um, the Force did it. Uh, the Reds played some of their best footy of the whole season up in Townsville and uh, Wellington on the weekend, but just in, in flickers. Um, I'm really uh, thankful, and Australian rugby should be really thankful that this is a really unvarnished view of where we stand. When you play that ridiculous 18-team competition and everyone's playing everyone randomly week after week and you, you get two cheap wins over the Sun Wolves and you pick one up against uh, the Southern Kings. Even South, got, Even South Africa coming to Australia, you know, it's a long flight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And suddenly you've got four wins um, that don't really count for much. So in this competition, we played the Kiwis non-stop five weeks and we conceded 146 tries in 25 games. That is just ridiculous. Um, there's some style things that uh, have changed from Super Rugby AU. We did a lot of um, uh, things were a bit more static there at times. And I think we did a bit of fair bit of ruck watching here where, and certainly in the first few weeks of Trans-Tasman, we were looking uh, at the ruck and then all of a sudden the Kiwis had shifted at three passes and into, into a huge hole. They, they just moved the ball uh, beautifully. And some of the stuff Mwanga did for the Crusaders was brilliant. Aaron Smith's one handling touch might be the best handling touch of the year uh, when he just got it and flipped it on uh, to, to set up a try for the Highlanders a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were seeing some sublime skills. Um, they're not Australian players, they're Kiwi players. So um, I still think we, we learned a lot about um, what we have to do to maybe compete and beat the All Blacks later in the year. So I think as a, an examination was pretty, pretty stern and we'll get a lot more benefits out of it than the Kiwis, to be honest. Sammy, one of the great questions I thought posed by Andrew Mertens, it might have been over the weekend, just gone by, is will James O'Connor be the Wallabies 10 going forward to the World Cup, at the World Cup? And I, I still have questions. I know that he's re-signed, but you look at what Ruchi Mawanga and other 10s uh, who have that real spark off, off the mark, I think that Nolan Asir has a real chance and he's, he's a 10 that needs to get more and more minutes, particularly throughout this French series as well. It will be fascinating. I know that O'Connor brings a wealth of experience and, and, and continues to grow as a 10, um, but few, few 10s can succeed in the modern game unless they have genuine pace off the mark. And, and that's one of the, the great conundrums going forward is, is how we go with our 9 and 10 in terms of their age, but their ability to beat men as well. Yeah, it's going to reveal itself, Christy, through this this period, isn't it? How uh, how Dave Rennie looks at the, the French series from a from a ten perspective there, and then into the rugby championship as well, off the back of the Bledisloe's when they've got those four games in succession against the uh, the Springboks and the the Pumas here in Australia. Uh, Christy, what about the Waratahs, mate? It's, we've spoken about them ad nauseum throughout this season. Um, it was a fairly embarrassing way to finish on 
on Saturday night. I was actually surprised about how many punters turned up there at Brookie, mm. despite um, Wayne of, uh, of the home of the Sea Eagles being under renovation there. Um, there certainly wasn't a lot of Tommy Turbo out there for the Waratahs, unfortunately, and uh, wow, could they do with a player like him. But defensively, it's, it's where it's at, isn't it? Um, was a story in, in Super Rugby AU is, I think, uh, three games over over 50 points there. There's a, a few more in Trans-Tasman. Um, just how easily they were beaten, as Jimmy said, with that ruck-watching uh, two passes and suddenly Leicester flying a Nuku or, um, or Sean Wainui, as it was on Saturday night there against the Chiefs. Oh. Gets yeah. the ball and explodes down the sideline, and before you know it, they're back behind their sticks again. Um, is, is it a rebuild? We know the interviews are, are happening imminently for their coaching position. We, we still think Darren Coleman is probably the favourite there, uh, depending on how his contract lies with the Giltinis. Um, how long is this rebuild going to take? Uh, obviously, player recruitment's got to be number one for the new coach. Is he going to have enough time to do it? How much of a squad overhaul can one do um, in these COVID times? Um, how are they going to hit the player market? Can they come out next year and be competitive again at the least? Good questions. In terms of the interviewing process, I think Darren Coleman's got two interviews this week and a third interview next week. How do you need three interviews to determine whether or not this bloke um, is super rugby quality? Uh, HR, I've got to have something to do, mate. Of course they do. But in all seriousness, this is a bloke who's over in the States. How much do you need? Like, do you even need to interview the bloke? Like, of course you do. But one, we, we know this guy should be judged on can he turn a side around? And I think we've seen that happen in, at shoot shield level. I don't think you're going to find out a whole of a lot. From what I understand, he's not a great interviewer. So he's already on the back foot step. And that's not just from, you know, that's from people close to him that want him to get the coach. Um, unfortunately, he's not going to be able to fly over to Australia. But the only way that you can determine if these guys can coach is by seeing what their results have been, I think. And he's someone who's been um, has shown that he can turn around clubs, as I say, with Ringer very quickly, with Gordon very quickly. He had relatively success. Um, he took one of his, his Japanese top 14 sides um, into the top 14. Um, another couple of names to look out for. Could Nathan Gray and Chris Whitaker team up? I know that they were uh, every chance of teaming up last year. I think that's still a, a strong chance. And Simon Cron's name, even though he has a contract for next year, still won't go, go away either. Can the Warriors be turned around next year? Well, I think the force have shown that sides can make improvements, but it can only really make improvements if you have a forward pack that's going forward. We know that they can score some points, but unless they get somehow a second rower to come in and another couple of props, um, but particularly two second rowers, oh, I don't see how this tar side can get turned around in the space of even really two years. They need some older, wiser, stronger heads. I, you'd be targeting a couple of people probably from the English Premiership to come back, even Australians, even Dave Dennis. I know that he's an older guy, but you need some guys with some some hardness, some um, abilities, some, some Waratahs DNA as well. Um, someone to to help this Waratahs young side come through because they are still miles off the pace and I don't think an extra year is going to be enough. Unfortunately, it could be a, a still a difficult 12 months, but this coaching appointment is going to be really, really significant. And, you know, waiting another two or three weeks until we get to July 
everyone, most players have sewn up what they're doing by next year, by July. So they are so far behind the eight ball. You know, looking back, what was the point in sign in sacking Rob Penny if you're not going to have a coach set in stone by June or July? You know, it just meant that they had one less coach. Um, they probably would have had to pay him out for three months. Uh, you know, the mind boggles when, you, when you're still this deep in the competition or even beyond the competition and you haven't worked out what you're doing. Yeah, they've uh, regressed even further, you'd have to say, since that sacking of Penny. Um, Jimmy, what about the force, mate? You, you would argue that they, despite not getting the win, were perhaps the most competitive across each of their games in the Trans-Tasman competition. Probably should have beaten the Chiefs first up. We're right in that game against the Highlanders at home as well. Um, against the, the Crusaders, they, they hung in there really well, probably dominated the second half and without quite getting the, the line breaks to, to finish off the tries they needed. Um, really only embarrassed by the Hurricanes. And on the weekend, despite the Blues having the game probably wrapped up, they, they finished really strongly. I, I think we can see that they're a very well-coached side. They, the shape they play with, they know what they're doing. Each, each player knows where he needs to be, but they just lack that little bit of thrust here and there. The guy, um, the X-Factor guys that can, you know, break a game open for them. And we know they've been active in the player market already. The Rajan Pazitoa signature confirmed. Um, he's heading back to Perth where he grew up. Um, uh, Bailey Kunzel as well. And, and I think there's one other who escapes me at the moment. Isaac Fines, Leila So they're looking, you know, really strong. We know Rod is coming back there as well. Um, I'm excited by what they could turn into uh, next season. Yeah, I think the Force have been a great story. Um, I thought they'd been on for so long that there would be a 40 or 50 point loss in Trans Tasman. I just thought uh, biorhythms or whatever you want to call it, they, they just have a flat game, but they really held it together very proudly and worked very well to the end. Um, well coached, but uh, a team well created too. They're a team. You look at their dressing room scenes. And they are all in it together. Um, and I dare say uh, the Waratahs haven't had that. And that's the big difference. Uh, that's why I think Darren Coleman should be uh, in every discussion about the Waratahs coach because his team building above anything else is uh, what sets him apart. He built a team from, uh, from ruins at Gordon, uh, turned the perennial losers, the Moringa Rats, into a premiership team. And he, he's doing something with the Giltinis in Los Angeles. That's a different story, I guess, as well. But um, th that team building quality, that's a Tim Sampson thing. Uh, Ian Pryor, uh, it takes something to be a, a captain of a club and often plays second fiddle off the bench to Cabelli, but still contributes so much in every way. And they're the sort of players you want. You, you talked earlier about um, the Michael Wells and Callaways being so important for New South Wales. Well, Ian Pryor is that sort of player for. Uh, the Western Force. He's been there for a long time and he just loves the Western Force. And, and they're the sort of guys you need. So I, I think great story. The Force uh, really earned their place. Uh, there will be a bit of turnover of players next year with some of the senior guys moving on. Um, I don't know what Kahui's uh, plans are and, and others. Uh, Greg Holmes said he might try another season and he would be valuable to stay on. Uh, but they've got a few more troops coming in. Uh, Waratahs, again, wouldn't they have killed for an Isaac Rodder to come in? Um, they need a Richie or Rory Arnold-type player to come into their ranks to give them a lock. If they haven't got a lock, they've got no future next year. Yeah, and what we've seen is those fringe guys that have come in, 
unfortunately, they uh, they were fringe super rugby players in the first place. And you cannot tell me that not having a coach already locked and loaded is just damaging them all. Like, you know, they're spending thousands and thousands of dollars on having, um, you know, people come in and, and, and look to try to gather the shortlist. The shortlist should have been known by months ago. We, we know that, that uh, uh, Darren Coleman has been sitting on a contract over in LA for a long, long time. Get the job done. Seriously. It's, it's not that hard. Yeah, you're right about the players there, Jimmy and Christy, and injuries only further um, enhance that problem. Um, speaking to one uh, Waratah staffer on the slide following Saturday night's game that they were actually, you know, I said, mate, was there, is there an issue here that, you know, OHS, like this was actually a health and safety issue, some of the guys you're sending out this week, and you'd have to say, you know, he, he agreed that that was the reality. It's like, well, you know, we've, we've just got no one left, and, and that stems back right to the, the root of the problem earlier in the year. Um, all right, boys, let's move on to the final here. Um, Blues and Highlanders, Blues at home, um, have, uh, have been the, the form team. I guess, well, all New Zealand teams were the, the form team, but um, finished on top um, with uh, the extra bonus point and, and uh, the for and against there, despite a, a little bit of a, a fade against the fourth on the weekend, but the job was clearly done. But I really like the Highlanders, Jimmy. I think Aaron Smith is playing at his absolute best again. Um there's a lot of similarities for me in that team in in uh, in 2015 that went to Wellington and, and beat the Hurricanes in that final. Um, Tony Brown called it at the before the season start. We're, we're going to beat all these Aussie teams, and um, the week of that Reds game, oh, the Reds have got you know X amount of Wallabies. We've only got one or two All Blacks with with Shannon Frizzell at that point. Um, they're, uh, they're just ticking along really nicely. And I thought the way they finished off that Brumbies team in that second half was a, was a mark of a quality side. Yeah, Aaron Smith, the total key, isn't he? He He's just the ignition key for everything they do. Um, I'll, I'll go for the Blues. I think the Blues will win just because they're a, a meteor forward pack and will take Smith's stamp on the game uh, out of it a little bit. Uh, they play a, a very different game to the Highlanders. They run a lot of... Finlay Christie using all the big boppers in close just to pound ahead. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the Blues will win this. Uh, so what we're saying, classic final. Christie, as Jimmy mentioned, a huge Blues pack. Uh, Tui Palutu back from injury and really playing well again. Uh, Kiriuani, Hoskins, Tutu, they seem to be interchangeable. One starts, one comes off the bench. Dalton Papali'i is your bigger type of number seven, but brilliant over the ball still and still really carries with authority at the same time. They've got All Blacks front rowers coming out their ears uh, at prop. Um, really, really strong up front. And then I've got the class out wide with Yuani and, and Bryce Heem coming back this year. Looks in really good form. Um, where, do your, uh, where does your tip lie this week? Yeah, I think the Blues too. I think it's just a, a bit more test quality. It's those bigger lumps, uh, in particular in the back row and in, in the second row. Um, you know, Carl Tupanaki, uh, they've got some some quality right throughout. Whether or not that arrogance, you know, we've seen the arrogance of uh, Kira, um, no, sorry, Rico Yuani over the years, you know, dropping balls in the goal line, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's the only thing that can really hurt them at this stage. Aaron Smith, though, is... Um, I think the most influential player in the world, more so than DuPont. Um, so, you know, good luck stopping him. Many sides, particularly the Wallabies, have tried to. Uh, he always rises. And we saw how excited he 
he's almost the most excitable player in the world as well. He was jumping out of his skin, the fact that they knew that they were going to play a um, a final here and, and he hasn't been to the final what, since 2015 too. So brilliant for him. Um, a couple of things. I think if an Australian side wants to to look at how they can turn the club around, look at, Look at the Highlanders. They're a team that, as we've said, don't have many All Blacks in them, but they are a hard-working forward pack. They've got guys like Ash Dixon there, the hooker, who's been there for so, so long, yet he is the heart and the soul of that side. Um, Australian rugby, particularly the Waratahs and the Rebels, could learn a lot from the Highlanders. Jimmy, do we feel bad at all or badly at all for the Crusaders? Um, there was just a little couple of little moments in that game against the Rebels on Saturday. Um Braden Enner dropping that ball with uh, 20 metres out from the line with no one within Kui of him. And then Kellaway, uh, who Dave Rennie mentioned, one of the big reasons was that chase back to, to just get Will Jordan round the legs and, and get a foot into touch there. It just seemed like they were always just going to fall short there on Saturday. And hard to believe that as good a team as they are, they're, they're not going to be there this week. Well, to win five straight and not make a finals tough, it's, it's like Alan Border in the old days, scoring a century in each innings and playing a losing Australian career team. Um, yeah, really tough on the Crusaders, but I don't think on balance that uh, there's anything wrong with an exciting different final between the Blues, who are on the upward trend, and the Highlanders, uh, who have won their way into the final. Like The rules were set out five weeks ago. You've got to win, beat all the Aussie teams and get some bonus points. So... Crusaders came up short. Yeah, hard to argue with that one. All right, boys. Well, uh, that's uh, a fair bit covered today. It's been great having you both on. Um, as we said, look, uh, really looking forward to both the final this Saturday between the Blues and Highlanders. We can sit back and enjoy that and not worry about um, turnover bore or missed tackles or defence in the wider channels and uh, and then really switch focus for that Wallaby series kicking off at July 7 at the SCG. Um, thanks very much again, Jimmy, for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, next time I'll get the memo about a puffer jacket. Uh, outstanding dress, uh, Christy. I'll, I'll be on board with you next time.